Hey everyone, it's Abu. I apologize for the bad audio quality, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. You're about to listen to the first episode of Winds Howling, which is our podcast all about The Witcher Netflix TV show. My co-host Brett and I will be deep diving into every single episode of the show, and we want Winds Howling to be your companion podcast as you watch. It doesn't matter if you're a longtime Witcher fan like us, or if you're about to meet Geralt and the gang for the very first time. Winds Howling will be accessible for everyone. And as an extra surprise, we've actually already released episode two over on the Winds Howling feed. So once you're done listening here, find Winds Howling on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen and go check out episode two. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to the Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Abu. I'm Brett. And Brett, it's finally here. Finally here. Finally. Was it like a two-year wait or something? Yeah, it feels from the announcement way longer. I guess technically you can say it's the wait of whenever you started like reading the books or at least playing the games or whenever you heard about The Witcher to actually see the on-screen adaptation. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, the, the show has been in production forever, and there were rumors for years that Netflix or somebody was trying to adapt The Witcher into a TV show, and we finally got it. It finally launched today. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's back up and discuss a little bit about Winds Howling, because this is our first episode. And if you are just tuning in, if you are a new time listener, then we want to make sure that you are oriented a little bit. This show specifically, we wanted to launch for the TV show, for the Netflix TV show. We want Winds Howling to be your companion podcast to the show. You watch an episode, you come and listen to our podcast for the analysis, for our thoughts, for our charm and wit, obviously. <laughs> that goes without and, saying. <laughs> right, that goes without saying. So hopefully that's where we fit into your Witcher entertainment cycle. We want you to watch the show, come here, and listen to the podcast. So what we're going to do is every episode of the podcast is going to cover one episode of the show. Today's, obviously, is about the first episode of the show, which is called The End's Beginning, and it covers the short story The Lesser Evil, and it gives us a little bit of background on Ciri and her life in Sintra and the fall of Sintra. But what we'll do in every episode of Winds Howling is we're going to break it down into three segments. We'll start each episode of Winds Howling off with just a brief refresher on the episode, in case it's been a while since you watched it. And then we'll jump into our three key moments from the episode that we'll really deep dive into, we'll discuss, we'll explore the lore, we'll compare it to the books and the games, and uh, we'll sort of expand on maybe some of the things you might have missed. And then finally, we'll wrap up each episode with just sort of a free-for-all of our thoughts about that episode in particular and the show up to that point. And this is where we can sort of talk about things that are a little more off-topic and not necessarily about the story or lore. This is where we'll talk about things like the cinematography or the acting or just our impressions of the show so far. So let's kick it off. Uh, Brett, how about you kick off a quick recap of this pilot episode of the series, the very first episode? All right. So we open with Geralt in a forest facing off against the Kikimora and looking every bit the fearsome witcher that he is. Pitch black eyes, veins visible through his pale skin. He kills the Kikimora and then puts the deer out of his misery, which at first I was like, 
I didn't really get it. I was like, oh, he's going to eat that deer. <laughs> so, <laughs> R.I.P. deer. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, that deer. Oh, well, he's going to eat him. Right. <laughs> so, so then he heads to the nearby town of Blaviken in search of payment for said monster. It ends up at the wizard Stregobor's tower. Stregobor isn't interested in the Kikimura corpse at all, but instead wants to hire Geralt to kill Renfri, an allegedly cursed woman who is out to kill him for revenge. Geralt refuses, claiming that he's a witcher, not an assassin. He kills monsters, not people. That's right, and this is where we get the iconic lesser evil quote that we'll dive into in a bit here. Meanwhile, we get a glimpse of Ciri's court life in Sintra, and it's obvious that she's just as bored by formality as her grandparents. But such is the life of a princess. Now back in Blaviken, Redfree confronts Geralt and tells him the truth about Stregobor and how he tried to have her killed as a child because of her supposed curse. Geralt tells Renfrey that he has no intention of killing her as long as she leaves Blaviken and forgets about Stregobor. Which I'm sure she will do, of course, <laughs> and everything will be merry. Mm-hmm. The end. And so in Sintra, Queen Calanthe and her husband Ice Twersek leave to battle the Nilfgaardians as Ciri is left to wait in the castle. Ice dies in the battle, and Calanthe returns bloody broken. The Nilfgaardians attack Sintra and begin to storm the castle. Back in Blaviken, Renfri confronts Geralt again and tells him she made the decision to leave town. They sleep together, and Geralt finds her gone in the morning. He realizes that she tricked him and intends to slaughter civilians in the market to draw out Stregobor. And finishing off in Sintra, we see the Nilfgaardians breach the castle, and Queen Calanthus sends Ciri away, telling her to find Geralt of Rivia. Sintra burns as Ciri barely escapes, lost and alone. In Blaviken, Geralt battles Renfri and her gang, slaughtering them. The people of Blaviken turn against him, not realizing that he saved them, and run him out of town. Ugh, that fight scene, though. That Ugh. was... I can't wait to talk about that. That's definitely one of our key moments we're going to talk about. Yeah, let's hold off on that. <laughs> uh, so good. So let's move into our second segment of the episode. This is where we're going to break down and deep dive into three key moments from this episode in particular. And I think we have to start off, of course, with Geralt's meeting with Stregobor. This is where we get the iconic lesser evil quote. This is almost like everybody's favorite quote. And it's a great quote, but this is where I kind of step back and I might kind of fend myself off as the tomatoes get thrown at me. It's a great quote, and it's great for where he is right here. But as I've stated time and time again, that it's not true at all, like it's very, it's a false dichotomy to me of what it is. He's like, oh, it's all the same. Well, it's not the same, you know? Like him is saying all evil is, you know, evil is evil is basically what he's saying. And it's like, well, you know, slaughtering, like what the Nilfgaardians did to Sintra, slaughtering an entire city, if you ordered that, is that really the same as some other person's version of evil where it might be, you know, like with Stregobor's thing where he's like, oh, kill this woman because she's cursed. Is that the same as if you slaughter an entire town? Right. And that's that this you're absolutely right. Like this sort of false neutrality that Geralt yeah. proclaims to have is something we've actually discussed on an episode over at, on the Lore Party podcast, too. It's it's bullshit, right? Like it, it's him justifying not getting involved because Geralt, Geralt likes to think he he doesn't have to make a choice if he doesn't want to. 
and this is a lot again coming. We'll ha- I'll judge it by the TV adaptation, okay? But again, coming from where I'm coming from, which is from the books and everything in there, Geralt is not this white knight hero where it's nope. great or where he's even like even like this anti hero in there. Geralt is he's middling. <laughs> That's what Geralt is. Geralt yeah. tries to say like, "Oh, I'm this." It's like, dude, no, you're. Not a. I'm trying to think of the word. It's not that he's a punk or anything, but it's like he's not weak-willed. I'm drawing a blank because I have taken about four different meds right now. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you know what I'm. You know what I mean there. Yeah, I I think what you're trying to say is that like Geralt doesn't have it all figured out. You know, he's not our hero who. But knows he thinks he does exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He he's sort of like telling himself that he knows mm-hmm. what he's talking about to to be able to confront like the reality of this really dark and dreary world, right? Like this first episode sets the tone of the entire Witcher series. It's dark, it's bloody, it's full of death and destruction and pain and suffering. And Geralt's justification for that is this lesser evil quote. It's him saying, if I don't want to make a choice, I don't have to, because at the end of the day, evil is evil. And clearly you and I don't agree with Geralt on this. And I think the TV show doesn't agree with Geralt on this either. He's no, proven wrong yeah. by the end of this episode. Yeah, and I do think this is where uh, the same thing comes with the other stories, where this is a turning point, where maybe before this, Geralt did believe that or act like it. But from this moment on, it's like you do have to make a choice. And then even if you don't do anything, because that was the point here. This was an impossible situation. Well, actually, we can talk about that when we get to there. We'll get to that point in there. Uh, when he has to make his decision, because that's with the market and all that. Right. And I think I think ultimately the thing I feel about this quote is he ends it with saying, if I have to choose between two evils, I'd rather not choose at all. And my my counterpoint to that is not choosing is a choice. You're still making a choice there. That, that was literally what I was just about to say. <laughs> yeah. But I held off to talk about that. That's what that's literally what I just was yeah about to say was and it was that yeah. old was that Rush song, Free Will. You ever heard of the band Rush? They're like an old. I, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, you're showing okay. your age. Brent. Yeah, I'm showing my age. I'm not even that old, but yeah, they're, the band Rush has a song called "Free Will," and it talks about how if you don't make a choice, like you still make a choice by not making a choice. You know, it's like the same thing right. there where you're walking down the street and someone's getting mugged or someone's getting harassed. You are making a choice by not doing anything. By not doing anything, you're in a way on the side of that harasser. You know, right. So, it, it's, it's like the, it's the sideline problem. It's yeah, exactly. choosing to be on the sidelines. And th- that's still a choice. It still affects the outcome in some way. Yeah. Let, let's break down this meeting with Stregobor a bit and let, let's dig into the choice that he does have to make here, though. So he comes to Stregobor because Marilka, who's a super creepy little girl, by the way, I feel like I need to address this. She killed her dog. Yeah, that kind of. She killed her dog! (laughs) Yeah, they kind of just glossed over that, and I was like, uh... Nobody, like, I I don't know, I I get that the Witcher world is dark, but that's inexcusable in any world. You don't kill your dog, Marilka, you freaking weirdo. (laughs) The only thing I could think of is, they put that in there so we wouldn't be on her side. (laughs) Right. That's the only thing I could think of is, like, as soon as she says that, it's like, oh, well, we're not going to be on her side. I don't know. I tried to figure out why that line was in there and why what we're supposed to feel about Marilka, but I can't decipher it besides just being totally disgusted by her. Anyway, Marilka takes 
Geralt and his dead Kikimura to Stregobor in the tower. And Stregobor's like, I don't care about your Kikimura. I don't want it. I actually had Marilka bring you here because I need you to kill Renfri because she's one of the 60 women who was born during a, a total eclipse, the first total eclipse in 1,200 years. And it was foretold that these 60 women would shower the world in blood and bring about the end of the human race. So the solution was to preemptively kill these 60 little girls because they were quote-unquote cursed to bring about evil, or to lock them up in towers. And this is a theme we're going to see throughout The Witcher, and it's something that's very clearly in the books, this theme of turning fairy tales on their head. We all know the story of Rapunzel locked in a tower and a princess coming to save her. This is that story, but the dark Witcher version of it. These women were locked up in a tower because they were cursed. Most of them were killed, and um, some of them were extremely violent, at least according to Stregobor. Uh, Geralt calls, sort of calls him out on his bullshit, though. What do you think about that, about Geralt just sort of scoffing at the whole curse? Yeah, and to hit on what you mentioned there, the main thing that Renfri is, not so much in the show because they don't talk about it, but the main fairy tale Renfri was was Snow White because of the seven like halflings that she had. And she was like the cursed one in there. So it was to kind of hit on both of those. Right. Where it was just this really dark version of, uh, of that in there. But they did not mention that in, uh, in the show of her background of in there. But yeah, I like that when he calls Stregobor, which was another weird thing too, because they called him Master Irian at first. And then he looked and he was like, oh, it's Stregobor. Well, well, they did that in the books initially because Geralt knows Stregobor in the books. Right. They, they had a passed. background. But they don't in the show. So it was just kind of weird that they alluded to Master Irian going in there. I don't know. Maybe it's just a way to throw out. But yeah, he he has no time for Stregobor at all. None at all. I love his no. line about wizards saying saying boring shit but making you know dramatic and uh, important faces. Uh, he, he just I just love that he cuts through Stregobor's sort of pompous bullshit. And he's like, hey, sounds to me like you just murdered a bunch of innocent girls because of some prophecy. Uh, but Stregobor stands his ground. He's like, no, I did autopsies. These girls were cursed and they had to be killed. I saved the human race. Um, and it's, it's sort of the central issue, the central conflict of this story, whether or not Renfrey is actually cursed. Yeah, and that's the decision the viewer will have to make is if they trust. And again, one thing that comes off is Stregobor is very, maybe because he's plays by, played by Lars Mikkelsen, <laughs> uh, who's always a bad guy, isn't he? Always a bad guy. Yeah, he's always a bad so guy. He's and, got the look. The poor guy's been typecast. Uh, but basically, yeah, Stregobor comes off as very, very, not even so much as evil, I'd say as much as like conniving, if you will. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, manipulative. Like he's trying to convince Geralt but he's not pleading with Geralt um, where, you know, initially what he's based on is more of I'm hiding in this tower because she will kill me 100%. Mm -hmm. Like he is 100% afraid. He is not coming out of that tower at all. But here it's more as if he's like playing, like he, he has the power, it seems like in this to do it. It's just, he wants Geralt to do his dirty work. Right. I agree. In the, in the books, at least from my reading and my interpretation of it, Stregobor's 
a bit more of like a bumbling coward, right? He's hiding in this tower because he's terrified of Renfrey. He's begging Geralt to save his life because he doesn't want to go out there and face Renfrey on his own. He thinks he'll be killed by her and that he, he can't overcome her. He pleads with him. Yeah. yeah like yeah. he's begging and pleading, basically telling Geralt like, you're the only – she will kill me if you don't kill her. Like you're, Exactly. And, and, and that's Geralt's choices. One of us is going to die. Like he's telling her, him, one of us is going to die. Your decision – will prove who it is. Like, you will choose who lives or dies. Right. Geralt has to choose to either kill Renfrey or, you know, later on Renfrey confronts him and asks him to kill Stregobor and save everyone a lot of bloodshed. And he decides neither. You know, he chooses his non-choice of neutrality. And I agree. Stregobor definitely comes off as a little more conniving and intelligent and, uh, you know, evil in this tv show version and i think that tonal shift is a bit weird because in the books you sort of feel for him like you get it you're like okay this guy's like scared he doesn't want to die we we can all relate so i I think that tonal shift like maybe missed the mark a little bit from the books because you really can't help but side with renfrey on this especially after she comes to Geralt and tells him the truth of how Stregobor has hunted her, and she was raped by Stregobor's man, and has been on the run since she was a child. So, but that, but is that the is that the truth or is that the mm, facts? Right, like uh, Renfrey is point. manipulating Geralt throughout the entire show, and that's the whole point of it. Both of them are manipulating Geralt with their version of what it is. There's nobody else to back up either side. So Geralt, it's literally a he said, she said, and Geralt's left to choose, and the audience is left to choose who they believe. Right, right. Definitely a lot of gray area there. So the second thing, there's a lot of uh, A-B plot happening. So we cut back and forth between Ciri and Sintra and then Geralt and Blaviken and talking to Renfrey and Stregobor. But I figured let's stay in Blaviken for now and then we'll wrap up with Ciri in a bit. Let's talk about Renfrey a little bit and let's talk about this fight in the marketplace because... There's a lot happening here. There's a lot happening with Renfrey. There's some amazing shit happening in the fight in the marketplace. Um, one thing that you had mentioned about Renfrey before we started recording was how she's sort of prophesizing. She, she's having these visions. She's prophesizing about Siri in particular. And that doesn't happen in the books. No. And I feel like there's going to be a listener out there who knows what this is. And it's going to be like... <sighs> These two experts, I don't know what that was about. Yeah. Like I, I don't know what it was about unless it's just to lay into the minds of people who don't know anything, who are new to The Witcher, of planting the seed in there. But it was just very confusing to me what they were going for. Yeah. It's, it's an extremely confusing line. I, I think yeah. I... I'm leaning more towards like this was put in to sort of remind new viewers to the show who don't know about Geralt and Ciri's connection that there's a connection here, that Geralt and Ciri are destined to meet at some point. I think that's maybe like the entire purpose of the line. Maybe we're reading too much into it. Like that might just be it. That could be. So I do want to talk about Renfrey a little bit because she has two key conversations with Geralt, both of them in a forest, which is fine. Um, I didn't really care where these conversations took place. In the books, they happened more in the town of Blaviken. Uh, like in the inn. Yeah. yeah, like in the inn. But the Attic. <laughs> right. 
But ultimately, it doesn't matter where these conversations take place. The substance is what matters. In the in the first one, Renfrew shows up, and like I mentioned earlier, she tells Geralt that she is out to kill Stregobor because he ruined her life. And Geralt and her essentially have this really interesting conversation about what makes a monster, right? Because Geralt is also an outsider. He's a witcher. We saw in the very first scene in Blaviken, Geralt walks into the bar or into the inn and he asks for the alderman, and he immediately gets harassed by Renfri's men. So he's an outsider. People don't like witchers. People don't like, quote-unquote, freaks like him, because he's different. He's not entirely human. And Renfri feels the same way. She's evidently cursed, according to Stregobor in this prophecy, and so she's been hunted and has been surrounded by death and blood and misery her entire life. Uh, and they have this really interesting back and forth conversation about that, where you you can realize that they they see a lot of each other in the other person. And it's what you mentioned there about making the monster. Like Geralt talks about, he, he talks to Roach about the first monster he killed. Yes. And it's slowly revealed to be that it's a human. It's a person, which again really hits on something that I think Sapkowski, the author of the books, uh, really gets at is that humans make the worst monsters. Mm-hmm. And even Stregobor mentions that, you know, Geralt's like, I only kill monsters. And Stregobor mentions that a monster kills for necessity. Someone like Renfrey kills for pleasure. And again, it's another thing I don't know if they were clear about her background, but in the books, Renfrey, <laughs> yeah, she killed a lot of people with her band <laughs> yeah. going back in there, like just, like murdering and doing all that. So at the same time, it's true where, okay, is a monster that Kikimura? Is it a Striga? Is it a Bruxa? Is it something that has no control, that has animalistic tendencies? Or is it a sentient human knows what they're doing and knows the pain and the sorrow they're causing? Is that worse? I don't know. I, I feel really, I feel for Renfrey. I don't know if that's good or bad, I you know I realize she has murdered a lot of people, but at the same time she she was forced into this life because of an assumption that was made about her because of some curse. Uh, I, whether or not the curse is true, we'll we'll discuss in a little bit here because she says some things in the in the fight later on that may be admit to the curse being true. But ultimately, I think Renfrey's a pretty tragic character, and she's one of my favorite characters in the Witcher series. The fact that she became a monster. Because of a prophecy, but did the prophecy make her a monster? Was she born that way? Or did the circumstances around the prophecy and how people treated her make her that monster? And that's sort of the central discussion that Geralt and Renfrey have here in the woods, too. And I think it's really interesting. And it's really up to the viewer, up to the reader, to figure out where they fall on that. But magic does exist in this universe. So there actually could be a curse of the Black Sun. Right. You know, if it's a real, real world, then you can say that, oh, no, her upbringing made her that monster, her being attacked and attempted to be raped in the woods where she had to kill someone and then go on the run. That's what made her into that, as opposed to someone like Stregobor saying, oh, no, no, the curse of the Black Sun made her that. We were just trying to stop it. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad that you pointed out that curses and magic do exist in this world. So this is not yeah. outside the realm of possibility. This isn't some she out there be. theory. Like, it could be. 
we're going to see curses in future episodes. You know, we're going to see magic. We see we see a little bit of magic in the market fight scene. So like these things exist in the world. It's not like it's not totally out of bounds that she could be cursed. So it, it's really you just have to decide where you fall on that, and it it's a tough decision. I don't envy Geralt. You know, like this is not an easy position to find himself in. All right, we've teased it enough. Let's talk about that market. <laughs> Let's talk about yes. this fight. Tell me how much you loved the fight scene. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, so the fight good. scene, it came out, yeah, when it started, I was like, oh, and then it stayed, like, in the one continuous shot, and it was just like, oh, man. Oh, man. He just wrecked their shit. But the one thing I wanted to talk about before, it didn't seem very clear to me what was going to happen at that market. Yes, I agree. Yeah, the the whole thing was the town sorcerer wizard or whatever has to protect said town. Like, they let him live there. They support him. He then has to protect the town. The whole point of that was Renfri was going to attack the market or have her band attack the marketplace, start slaughtering the civilians there, at which point the wizard would have to come out of the tower to defend them, Right. at which point Ren- Renfri could then get... Shregabor. And it just didn't seem clear what was going to happen. So instead, Geralt goes to there, finds them, starts killing them. I don't know if it's going to be that clear to people who don't know the background of what exactly was going to go down there, like why he had to go there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think it was clear at all. No. Nobody explained that a wizard is sort of duty bound, as tradition dictates, to protect the town that he lives in. But I don't think they explained that they were going to attack the market. They kept bringing up the market. Like, they kept saying the market. I was like, oh, good. They're bringing up the importance of the market. They know the market's going to happen. I think this was maybe due to some TV budget constraints also. Like, the market's empty. You know? Like, in the books, it's a bustling market. Yeah. Geralt sees these bandits standing around a crowded market about to slaughter, and he feels like he has no choice but to jump in and save these people, right? Like, that... That's very clear in the books, and I agree with you. That's not clear at all in the TV show. Like, the set that this market fight takes place in is completely empty and devoid of people. Geralt just sort of shows up and starts confronting these guys, and they were expecting him. And then it's not clear how this plan is supposed to draw Stragobor out, especially if you're just a TV show watcher. You and I understood the context of that scene, but I think it is confusing if you just watch the TV show that Stragobor is duty-bound to come out and protect the people if they are slaughtered. And it's unfortunate because like, that was the biggest thing from the story was, was Geralt had to choose. Right. And his choice was, if I don't do anything, this marketplace is going to get slaughtered. Like, I don't think Geralt cared about Stregobor that much. I think he cared about like, the, the market. He didn't want the people in the marketplace getting slaughtered. So that was the choice he then made. So all that lesser, greater... That quote he said that everybody loves, that quote was bullshit. <laughs> right. It's bullshit by the end of the story. And I guess that's what frustrates me when people talk about Geralt and they're like, oh, yeah, this right here. I'm like, no, no, that quote is not Geralt. That quote was Geralt in this story, and by the end of it, he's changed because of this. Right. He realizes he, he's wrong. It, it, it's, like, it's like that obsession with Fight Club and Tyler Durden and that mentality. Yeah. Like people not realizing that it's supposed to be – 
ironic and it's supposed to be incorrect. Like you're supposed to learn from it that this is not the right thing to believe. Well, it's in. characterization. It's his character. He's changed from the beginning of this episode. He has changed by the end of it because of this choice right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that becomes extremely clear in episode two, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Yeah. He has he has a particular line where he references Blaviken. He references the choice that he had to make here. And it's it's very clear that Geralt has learned and grown from this experience. Um, I will say the fight scene itself, truly incredible, despite some of the weird issues with the context of the fight scene and explaining why it's happening and why Geralt has to make this choice. Like we've discussed the actual scene itself. Amazing. The choreography, Henry Cavill, just like owning that scene. Like I've never seen anyone whip a fucking sword like that. Just absolutely incredible. He dodges that crossbow bolt. Yeah. So good. That that's amazing. He he stabs the next guy like in the face and then pulls the sword right through his God. skull. Which is like what? Yeah. It's like, all right, dude. Jeez. Yeah, just amazing. Someone's pissed. <laughs> uh so Geralt continues and he slaughters all of these people, and then Renfrey shows up. She's holding a knife to Marilka's throat. And honestly, at this point, I'm just like, Yeah, kill Marilka. She's yeah. a dog killer. <laughs> like, yeah, are we supposed to be like, oh no, not the dog killing. You know, right, like, I don't know girl. how we're supposed to feel any sympathy for Marilka at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah, like get someone who, you know, hasn't been a confirmed dog killer. Yeah, very weird. It's very weird. But uh, Renfrey shows up. Geralt tells her to stop before there's more bloodshed. Renfrey says she can't stop. She does say at this point that magic doesn't work on her because I think Geralt sort of makes the motion to maybe do another ard or do some other sort of magic to get Marilka away from Renfrey. And Renfrey states outright, magic doesn't work on me. And I'm wondering, do you think this confirms her curse? Like, so Stregobor was right. She is cursed. Yeah. <laughs> that deep sigh. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's... Because I think in the books is a little more... It wasn't concrete in the books whether she actually was cursed. No, it wasn't at all. And that's why I think a lot of people love it is because you're left to believe in a way what you want to believe. And here it's, you know, it's a little more, it's, it kind of seems like she was here. Yeah. The TV show seems to be leaning into the fact that she was cursed and yeah, yeah I don't know. I think that takes away something from the story that, that confirming that she's cursed makes Stregobor right. And I hate that. I think, I don't know, the, this line I felt was probably unnecessary and, again, was like a little tonal shift from the books that changed what I liked about the original short story. Um, but she says this line, so Geralt's like, cool, let's cross swords, let's do this thing, Renfrey and Geralt fight. Another epic fight scene. He blocks her behind his back, which I was like, I don't know how that's possible, but I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> it looked cool. We'll go with that. You yeah, know, like it's I'm not just, realistic. At this point, I'm just sold. Right, superhuman. Watching the he show. Can do whatever yeah, he wants. entertain us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the logistics of how this fight is happening. No, of course not. But the fight again is incredible. It's very obvious that Renfrey can hold her own, and I'm glad they kept that. Right, because like. Stregobor says earlier in the in the episode that no man can match Renfrey. She is so good with the sword that no man can match her. And the only reason Geralt can match her and can eventually overcome her is because he's not a human. He's no man. He's superhuman. 
And uh, it's nice to see them sort of neck and neck during this fight. Like, they both get some solid hits in on each other. But ultimately, Geralt does kill her with a little stabby stab to the neck. (laughs) Yeah, he seems to kind of be holding off at first. Like, he he obviously doesn't want to kill her. But then he does kind of realize, oh, well, she's going to kill me. And then he realizes also that she's not leaving there, or one of them isn't leaving there. And so it pretty much, he's going to have to kill her. And he kills her. Slowly. (laughs) Slowly, painfully. Again, Henry Cavill does some incredible acting here with his face. But you can see that he's just like, uh, it just tears him up. Yeah, he didn't want to do it at all. Didn't want to do it at all. Um, And then, of course, the the scene here in Blaviken ends with Stregobor and the rest of the townspeople who were somewhere finally coming in, seeing just, like, the bloodshed. And I'm glad they did that, like, little panning shot through the market where you see, like, the headless guy that Geralt's decapitated, the blood, the bloody bodies just laying around everywhere. And Stregobor tries to take Red Free for another autopsy, and Geralt stops her. And again, some incredible acting from Henry Cavill here. You can feel the pain in him saying, don't you touch her. Right. Like he he says it almost in like a monstrous way. He like bears his fangs. Uh, And then the market people start throwing stones at Geralt because they realize he's the one that caused all this bloodshed in their market. And they run him out of town. They don't realize that he saved them from slaughter. Yeah, it's uh, R.I.P. Renfrey. You were a real one. R.I.P. Renfrey. Stregobor is a giant dick in this TV show. (laughs) Which Oh, that's another thing, too. Yeah. In the show. Shregobor is like, oh, you're a butcher. You killed all these people. Leave, Witcher. In the books, if I remember it correctly, Shregobor is almost sympathetic to Geralt, where he yes. shields him. Yes, you're right. He shields him and says, Geralt, like, you need to leave. They're going to kill you. And so it's another one of those where they've clearly just, they've made Shregobor is a, a villain. Maybe not necessarily a villain, but somebody who is an antagonist, I guess you could say. Yeah, and that that's another sort of that's another change from the books. Again, I feel like I'm being super nitpicky and obnoxious here by continuing to like point out all these changes from the story. But I think well, and I'm not saying anything's changes, worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think just, it, I think it holds up in its own right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, you're right. It, it it's not it's not better or worse. I think it just changes the story that's being told slightly. Yeah, it does. Uh, and in in some ways, in pretty significant ways. So it's interesting to see some of the choices that they've made to change, but it's not better or worse. It's just different. It's an interpretation. And I think that's something that I hope the Witcher fan base keeps in mind, that this is not a one-for-one retelling of the story that we've all loved from the books. This is an interpretation of that story made for a totally different medium that requires a different type of storytelling. So what they kept from the books so far in this episode has been incredible. You know, everything I wanted to see from this story has made it on screen. Some of the character changes, some of the tonal changes, that's inevitable when you adapt something. All right, we're going to keep this conversation going, but first, a quick break. We interrupt this podcast for a preview for a different podcast. I'm Bruce, a regular contributor to Lore Party. In the unforgiving world of the gods, there is an endless, vicious cycle of fathers killing sons, brothers killing brothers, and sons killing mothers. But Kratos, the ghost of Sparta, 
looks to end that cycle with his son Atreus as they journey through the various realms of the Norse pantheon. Tune into our God of War episodes where my co-host Abu and I discuss the latest installment in the God of War series from 2018 and the insightful ways the game creates more depth in a beloved franchise. Just check out our lower party feed and search God of War. It should be easy to find. We now continue your regularly scheduled podcast. So that wraps up all of the events that take place in Blaviken. But at the same time, we've been flashing back and forth between Blaviken and Ciri in Sintra. And this is actually interesting. We get to see some of young Ciri's life at court. Her being a princess in Sintra with Calanthe and with uh, Iced East Tersich? I don't know. I never don't know how to say his name. <laughs> Iced Twersek. Iced Twersek. Wow. Yeah. At least that's what I've kind of gathered from all the Gwent pronunciations yeah. and looking at a Twersek. Gotcha. Well, I trust yeah. you. That's, that's probably the right way. We'll roll with it. <laughs> we'll roll with it. So I'm glad that we got to see some of this young series life as a princess because this is a lot of background information that we don't get in the books. By the time we meet Siri in the books, she Sintra has already burned. She's on the run. She runs into Geralt. And we get very, very little flashbacks to her life before that moment. Um, what did you think about her life at court and seeing a little bit of Princess Cirilla? It, stuff like this is what I'm most interested to see because it's, like you said, it's a show creation. And we'll get a lot of that with Yin upcoming as well. And so I think the thing we can kind of bring up here is the timelines. Yes. Okay, because and this was another thing that, again, with us going in, or with me, at least me, I'll speak for myself, going in blind, when I saw this, I was like, oh, they're getting, okay, oh, Siri coming in. Are, are, are they doing the slaughter of Sentra in the first episode? Yeah. Um, but they had in this first episode, and I was like, whoa, hold up, hold up. Because, again, if you know, any kind of background, our witchers age slowly. So Geralt looks like he's maybe 35, 40, something like that, but he's going to be much older. And so if Geralt and Ciri were going to eventually match up, this could not all have been going on at the same time. Right. And so what I've gotten from, and I really hope I'm not wrong, <laughs> what I've gotten from the timeline is where we're at in this episode with Geralt it's like tw- the year 1233 mm-hmm. because Renfrey says Calanthe won her famous battle at like Hushabuzz where she became like the lioness of Sintra. I think Correct. I kind of, yeah, I think yeah, and, I have and that's that. referenced twice in the, in this episode. Renfrey says yeah. it and Siri also says it to Calanthe where she's like, you won your first battle at whatever when you were my age. So. Yeah. And so that would put, and to me by the age of it, um, at least with the books. We'll go with the book years. That's right. I can only speak for that because I don't know exactly what they've said or how they're kind of going with this. It would put Siri right here at like 1263, where she would have been like roughly 10 or 11. I think it would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd been like 10 to 13 or something in that right. age, if that age going in there. And so it was good to see it. You know, we got to see, <laughs> we got to see. Some of her relationships, especially with Iced, you know, before he gets the arrow through the eye, Ooh. which did, did Kyer, did Kyer kill him? Was that the writer? I think that was the impression because he's got yes. the, he's got the plume on his head, on his helmet. Well, she looked, Calanthe like looks up 
and they show him on that, and I'm like, I'm like, wait, hold up, that's too far of a shot. <laughs> Such like, a far shot. That's too far of a shot for him to do, like, to hit that arrow like right in his eye. But that that was another thing too that was just kind of weird. But again, maybe it was just to introduce this almost specter on the mound back there with the plume, you know, the plume and the winged helmet. But yeah, they, I mean, this, this storyline was just boom, boom, boom. Oh, look, everything's great at court. Oh, we're dancing. Ah, those Nilf guardians, they can't come. You know, guy comes in, hey, the, the Nilf guardians are here. Whoop, <laughs> They're okay. here. Whoops. And then they go <laughs> yeah, and then they fight that battle. And that battle is where, that battle is where ice died in the books. Um, so basically, with Ice dying and Calanthe going back, it just there was so much going on that it was it was a surprise to me that they covered the slaughter. And man, did they cover it! Oh yeah, I will say it was nice to see Princess Cirilla living sort of a normal life at court, and it was very cute to see the relationship between Calanthe and Ice and Cirilla. I loved the, their little moment at the beginning where. Iced as being sort of extremely, extremely weirdly sexual in front of his 10-year-old granddaughter. But Yeah, that was that was like uh <laughs> Yeah, it, it was cute though. I, I thought it was cute. It brought some like much needed levity to it. The actor who plays Iced is did a great job. He's killing it. Uh so that was nice to see. It was nice to see that Siri is very much like her grandmother in that respect. You know, she's sort of very independent. She's bored by this like having to be a princess and she just wants to you know play knuckle bones with her friends in the market or whatever she was doing so that i think tells us a lot about siri and i think i'm really glad that we got that and this was like you said an addition from the show it gave us a little more background that the books don't but let's talk about the moment where the nilf guardians storm the castle they've arrived in sintra they're burning sintra Calanthe has come back bloody and broken from the battle iced is dead Series in a panic, and their, you know, mouse sacks defense at the door breaks down, and the Nilf Guardians are in. And this is like a really, really dark scene. Like it was quite difficult for me to watch those families take that, take that like poison and commit suicide. You know, like it was, this was very dark. It was dark, but I guess this is where the, um, the small R Republican in me goes. I mean, it's just like, Oh, all these nobles are up here getting their peaceable deaths <laughs> while all the peasants yes. and all the lower classes are out there getting terrified and slaughtered by all of them. And it's like, hey, Queen Calanthe, you kind of suck because you did not keep your people safe. And again, the whole basis of feudalism is an exchange. I will serve you, noble, and you will keep me safe. And so they lock the doors to their castle and they get their peaceable deaths where they can at least control it, where they can take their poison and slowly drift off to that eternal sleep. Or someone like Calanthe can throw herself, you know, out of the, uh, the window, defenestration, I believe that's called, or suicide by defenestration. But yeah, all the uh, common folk are out there getting, you know, hunted down by the Nausicaa brigades and <laughs> all the Nilf Guardian units. So yeah. it's one of those where. You know what? I really don't care that these upper class <laughs> nobles are dying. So you know, eat shit. Sorry, Brett. Um, I always appreciate that you're here thinking about the everyday people. Yeah, you 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 really bring a lot of perspective. 
I'm over here That's feeling me. bad about these <laughs> noblemen who've probably lived lavish, comfortable lives, and they get to just fall asleep. And uh, you're right. I mean, Sintra is burning. People are getting slaughtered. And like they said, Nilfgaardians don't take prisoners. People are just dying out there. The entire city gets raised, basically. Yeah. So back in the room with Calanthe, Sirius terrified. Calanthe realizes things are going to shit and they're all about to die. Like they've lost. And it's at this point that Calanthe sends Siri away. And of course, Siri is extremely distraught. She's in tears. At one point, she says, Grandma, I love you. And Calanthe, in a very iconic character moment, doesn't say I love you back. Yeah, and instead, just it's like, just like, go find Geralt. <laughs> He's yeah, your destiny. Like, hey, I'm dying here. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, I don't know. I, the Again, the, act, the actor who portrayed Calanthe, I think she did a wonderful job. She just like owned every scene that she's in. And we're going to see more of that in upcoming episodes because there's more flashbacks to Calanthe. And she did such an incredible job. And I don't know, she's, she, she's a powerhouse. Like it's very obvious from the very first moment that we see her that she's in charge, right? Like in the very opening scene when she's like knighting those nobles or whatever, she's the one with the sword knighting the nobles. She's the queen. She's not the king. The king, Iced, is standing behind her. It's very clear that Calanthe is the woman in charge in Sintra. And I think the character portrays that really well. Um, truly iconic moment when she doesn't say, I love you back. I burst out laughing. I was expecting an I love you back. Yeah, there was no, there was no, oh, I'll remember that. No, it's just like, hey, the entire town's being burned. Uh, you need to get out of here and I'll be okay now. Right, yeah, it right. was, there was not much, um, there's not much sensitivity there. Yeah, definitely not, not a Calanthe thing to be sentimental like that. So she sends Siri away. Calanthe obviously jumps out of the tower and her own life instead of being captured by the Nilfgaardians. And Siri makes her escape. And once again, we see the plume. We see our boy, Kahir, and he's chasing after Siri. And he manages to capture her at this point, too. Uh, we still don't know much about Kahir. We've seen him twice now in the first episode, but I am assuming we'll learn more about him later because he's a pretty central character to the story. But so far, he's just a big, bad Nilfgaardian that's chasing after Siri. Yeah, he'll be back. And they're trying to, you know, they're really trying to make it menacing. Um, and I guess they, I guess it'd be better because his face was shown, right? Like they were showing his face. Yeah, through his helmet. And see... That's another thing that we can talk about at a later date. Because Siri sees his face, right? Yes. In the show, yes. Yeah. Because at the end, when he's on the horse with her and she screams and activates her power and knocks yeah. them off their horse, they very clearly see each other's faces. He's wearing a helmet where she can see the face. In the books, she doesn't. In the books, he's like this terrible, like, helmeted Scary well, that's creature. what I was going to say. How spoilery are we going to get here? Because that's a massive thing. That is that massive. I think let's hold massive. off until later in the season. Okay. Maybe it'll come into play, but I, I get where you're getting with that. And anyone who's read the books knows exactly where, where Brett is going with this, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about who maybe can, might come together. I'm talking about series characterization. Yeah. And yeah. series choices are largely based... Anyway, we'll get – shit, that might be like five years down the road. <laughs> <laughs> True. That might be like so. a season two or three thing. But 
we'll 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 circle back around on this at the end of the season in like our postseason discussion yeah. if we okay. need to. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in this scene. So obviously, Siri uses her power. She gets away from Kahir. She separates the earth between them, and she runs off into the forest. And this scene is maybe where it becomes clear to TV show watchers what Renfrey was talking about when she mentioned the girl in the forest is waiting for you. Maybe here is where the TV watchers are supposed to connect the dots between Siri and Geralt. I assume that's the intention. But the one thing I want to end our discussion on uh, about the fall of Sintra is the Nilfgaardian armor controversy. I'm sure you've seen it. Anybody who hasn't watched the show definitely saw the trailers and some onset photos regarding the Nilfgaardian armor and its weird black textury look. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because people on the internet are not happy about it. Well, I don't care about it. Yeah, <laughs> those people, bi- those people bitching on the internet. Um, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, find you tell something. Them, you tell them. Find something worthy to care about. You fucking dorks. <laughs> um, if that turns anybody off listening, um, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't at all because if if that really bought. Look, it looks dumb. I'll say that. Okay, I don't like it. It doesn't look good at all. It looks weird. <laughs> now, if you saw their explanation for it was, oh, that's another thing to mention here. They're talking about like the kingdom of Nilfgaard. Like they're not mentioning it as an empire. And so I think that's what they're getting at is to eventually get Nilfgaard to become this all-encompassing thing. And so I guess what they're doing is giving them this kind of weird-looking armor and then eventually maybe giving them ones that look better. But another thing could simply be a budget thing. And they couldn't really, you know, get this any kind of splendid armor that you would think of the Nilfgaardians to do it. But no, to me, it's one of those when I saw it, I was like, oh, that looks kind of weird. But okay, whatever. Right. You can, and that's the thing, too, is you could barely even tell on the show because every single thing, every single picture from the set looks stupid because... This is kind of stupid in what it is. These are grown adults playing fantasy, you know, playing <laughs> jesters, okay? So, I mean, just imagine that. Imagine being, even on here where, I don't think there's anybody too in there, but I think of like Harry Potter, when you have Michael Gambon and Maggie Smith, and you have these just legendary actors from the stage and have done all this, and they're on this fucking set going, Hakura Madurum, da 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 And it's like, yeah, they look stupid as hell. But when you put it on screen and you have the music and you have the lighting and you have the editing, it can look pretty badass. Yeah. So all of that stuff, every single set picture, and I also think it's something to bitch about. The people that cared about that were the people that were going to look at this and be like, I don't like this show because, one, it's maybe not all white people. So you're going to have that aspect on there. It was like, oh, my Ugh. God, is there oh – it's God. not – oh, it's not all white people? Oh, well, this is Polish culture. Oh, this is all – this is why da, 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 da. Uh. It's those people that are going to find anything to complain about. Mm-hmm. And so they just hit onto that. I mean, we saw that shit with Game of Thrones where it just snowballs into this thing and it becomes this loud um, – like an echo chamber that just bounces and bounces and bounces. And eventually, you know, some news – uh, or some even online article picks it up and they write about it and then it goes into everything out there and then some YouTuber talks about you won't believe the Nilfgaardian armor you know <laughs> some clickbait bullshit and so I, have I don't know unleashed I've, Brett 
Yeah, I, I, I ran enough about that. But it, it yeah. So on the Nilfgaardian armor, I do I do think it looks dumb, but it's not down on screen that much. It's black. You're attacking at night and in the battle. I don't really care. They're the black ones, so at least it was black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, I won't even. I have nothing to add because you covered it. That that's exactly what I feel too. So let's wrap up today's discussion with just our big picture overall thoughts about the first episode. We, you and I have a little more context because we were given access to the first five episodes, so we sort of know what's coming. But let's keep this wrap up to the first episode. What were your your big picture thoughts about this pilot? Do you think it's going to land? Yeah, I think it's going to because, again, going back to what I believe Netflix would have wanted was you got to see the tone of this show where they really hit on the middling, you know, greater, lesser evil kind of thing where they try to make things uh, gray. Um, Someone that I might have talked to did not think Renfrey was going to die either. And so him killing Renfrey was almost a surprise to them. Mm, yeah. So that could be another thing, too, where they're like, people, people might think, oh, Renfrey, she might be a character coming up. Oh, he's not going to kill the – oh, nope, he does. Uh, they have an amazing fight scene, the one-on-one or the one-on-seven or whatever it was in there. They have the battle scenes. You have your full-on, you know, army against army slamming into each other, high-budget battle scene. So you kind of have a little bit of everything to really grab people's attention, which is what a pilot needs to be. A pilot needs to get people to watch it and think, oh, my God, I have got to go straight to the next episode, especially when it's binging like this. Because like every single show, the first episode, a lot of stuff's going on. You learn, you get introduced to, and then the second show is, oh, let's tap the brakes. Let's slow down and really get background on the world, which is exactly what happens here. Right. So I thought the first episode, it was great, but I was always going to love it because we're seeing <laughs> – we're, well, because we're seeing The Witcher on screen, and it's high budget, and they care. Like you can tell the the involvement of the show from the actors to the production to everything involved. They've put the money in. They've put the time in, and it helps following writers and the showrunner, Lauren Hesrich. And even the composers, um, you get to see what all they've done, and you've got to see, like, man, they've done, you know, six to nine months of just post-production. And so it's just real appreciative of what went into it. And they didn't half-ass it. It looks really great. What did you think about the acting? Is, is Henry Cavill Geralt? The thing about this is, and again, we can get it more as the five episodes come about, he he yes he he does he does he does well yes the one thing i want is Geralt isn't just this brooding i talk like this i'm so serious you know yeah it's not Dropping that one liners yeah yeah and so it kind of was a little bit into here and coming up but it he does start to open up and i do think that once that kind of gets down, because they want it to be serious. But so much of The Witcher, especially the short stories, like they're not. And because they're, now they're combining the the series storyline, the saga. Like in a way, the saga starts here. It starts in here, like the novels, you know, because we're getting the background of Siri. The novels, in a way, start right here while we're mixing in Geralt with the short stories. So I understand they need the tone, like it's deathly serious, what's going on with Siri. 
Like her world is collapsing. Everybody she knows and loves is dying or gone. And she is now on her own. And I get that it's hard to kind of go the end. Granted, the lesser evil is not, there's not much levity in the lesser evil. Yeah. But there is some ones coming up, maybe in the next episode, that were a little bit less levity. Or I'm sorry, a little bit more levity. And so I do think that by the end, we'll get there. I do think he's good. He'll, he'll be better, I think, once they open up Geralt more and don't make him just this brooding, lone monster hunter. Wow, you do the voice so well. Well, it helps when I have a bunch of phlegm in my throat. kind of <laughs> makes it a little lower. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. If you're listening, you're like, man, that guy's voice is a little off. I've been sick for like two weeks, so hopefully <laughs> in the future, this isn't the new normal. <laughs> no. Eventually, this might go away. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you on a lot of what you said. I think the, this first episode did a great job setting the tone of the series. We've mentioned that a couple times now. But that is the point, like you said, of a pilot episode. Set the tone, let people know what to expect from this show, introduce some of the characters, and set the scene a bit. And if that is what this first episode was aiming for, I think it nailed it. Sure, there were some changes from the books that, you know, someone like me might be nitpicky about, but I don't think it's worse or better. I just think it's different. And I'm interested to see what the reaction will be like from a larger audience, and especially people who don't know about The Witcher. I can sort of anticipate what the Witcher fan base is going to re what things the fan base is going to react to and how they are going to take in the show. What I have a hard time sort of anticipating is what people who are totally new to the Witcher will think, you know, it's hard for me to sort of escape this mindset of, I already know who Renfrey is. I already knew that Geralt was going to confront and kill Renfrey. But like you said, that might come as a shock to some people. That might be a twist, a surprise. Like, I already know basically what every single episode of this show is going to be about because I've read all the stories. And besides some of the small changes here and there, it sounds like it's going to be pretty true to the original text. So that is something I'm very interested in seeing is whether this show will land with people who don't know anything about The Witcher, have no prior knowledge going into it. And I think that might be a bit of a tough sell. And I only bring that up because of the AB story that you and I have discussed. Like, you and I, who are quote-unquote experts on Witcher lore, or at least know our shit somewhat, still had to decipher this timeline, right? It was very confusing, this AB story between Ciri and Geralt. And I, I'm interested to see if that's going to be extremely confusing to people. Uh, besides that, I think the acting was good. I agree that Henry... Cavill felt a bit stiff, but he also, like you said, didn't have a whole lot to work with in this episode besides being broody and a loner and angry. I think the actor who portrayed Siri did a wonderful job. Again, I this is still very introductory, and I'm excited to see how these actors own their role and evolve when they're giving more, given more scenes to play with. Uh, but I think this first episode was great. I'm a huge fan. Like, I watched this first episode, and I was sold. I was ready to watch the rest of the show. There was nothing that turned me off from it. Um, and I'm stoked. I can't wait. Yeah, I think, it'll, I think it'll be a big success amongst everybody. Well, Brett, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract, and it's time to collect our reward. 
So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out our other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path.